Hi everybody, I'm Britt. I'm one of the pastors here at Sunridge and I just want to welcome you or even welcome you back if you're listening to our podcast or you're even watching this video online. Uh, I realize that many of you might be watching it because we got rained out uh, this coming Sunday. I record on Wednesday and uh, we're trying to make a call right now watching the weather and see what happens. If if that's you, if Sunridge is your home church and you get denied us meeting outside, I just want to encourage you to really listen to this entire message because it's so timely and it's so important for us to hear as a church and, of course, our culture today. If you're new to Sunridge or you're just checking us out, I wanted to let you know that during COVID, uh, every Sunday morning without rain uh, at 1030 in the morning, we have one big service here on our campus, and we'd love for you to come and check us out. What you should know about Sunridge is that we are here, we're on a mission to help people find and follow Jesus. And we're a church that believes in the good news that G Jesus welcomes everybody regardless of where they're coming from. So uh, if you're looking for a church to kind of explore Christianity, we're a great church for that. And if you're looking for a place to sink your roots deep in Christian faith with other believers, we also are that kind of church. So uh, with those uh, welcomes uh, in place, let's just jump into our scripture, our teaching today. We are studying the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto of Jesus, and the things that he believes and the things that he does and the values that he embraces all are rooted in this. We learn so much about what it means to be a Jesus follower from these three chapters in Matthew's gospel. Today we're in Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This chapter in Matthew, in beginning in verse 21, is, it begins a section that scholars call the antitheses of Jesus. And you probably already know that antithesis means opposite. But are these teachings of Jesus actually the opposite of what they were hearing? We get that idea because each one is framed up by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, you've been taught this, but I'm going to teach you something different. But what we're going to see is that Jesus is not advocating for the opposite of what they've been taught, or even, in most cases, eliminating that commandment. There's one oaths that I think... Uh, kind of comes close to that, but Jesus is expanding on them. And so he's reinterpreting them in, through the lens of heart and what they truly mean. And in so doing, he is coloring in the lines of God's commandments. 
we're going to see that each of these six are vital to human flourishing. The places, the places that are vacant of these as a value, as a way of doing life, whether it's a nation or a community or a church or a family, will not flourish and possibly will experience immeasurable suffering. It's impossible to have any meaningful, lasting relationship without the things Jesus is going to talk about that we know as these six antitheses. This first one is about reconciliation. And uh, that's simply the title of my message, Reconciliation. And it, that word may not be a part of your regular vocabulary, but uh, reconciliation is something each one of us relies on daily to thrive. And our inability to reconcile with our friends is why, or in any relationship, it's, it's why our, friends, our friendships break up, why lovers divorce, why churches split, and why your favorite band didn't finish that third album. Aha, that's a really old word, isn't it? It's not that people can't get along. It's that people don't know what to do when they haven't got along. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And he starts off with this, and this is in your notes. The Torah and Jesus agree that conflict is part of the human experience. Verse 21 of Matthew 5. You've heard, it's, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Jesus here is addressing a very real problem. And he's starting first in the extreme. If you take a life, you will face judgment. And of course, if you read your Bible, if you're familiar with the Torah, you know that there's no debate there. Of course, we know the law and there are passages in Torah about the taking of a life. Deuteronomy 19, 1 through 14, or Numbers 35, 16 through 34, you can take time later to read those. But what you'll find is that even in Torah, there's a way for downgrading the crime when it's accidental or what we would call manslaughter. But it seems like Jesus here is taking it in the opposite direction. And rather than expanding and allowing kind of more latitude, he's making it even more strict and even more to the point. And so we find here the one that calms the angry seas is actually rocking the boat here. First of all, in what he's actually teaching, he says anyone who is angry is subject to judgment. He's saying that this anger can bring the same consequences as someone who takes a life. That is upsetting to his listeners and, of course, to us, right? I mean, you think about how intense that is. But also, as we talked about last week, Jesus is establishing authority that they're not familiar with. When he says, I tell you, this phrase comes up a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. And so when, he's, when he says it this way, you've heard it taught, but I tell you, he's really putting it right in the face of their religious teachers of this day. And I'm wondering that even as Jesus is speaking here, is he, is he seeing the body language of the Pharisees? Are they demonstrating anger? Because he's already kind of like frustrated them. He said that the marginal are blessed that the people that to the Pharisee were not part of the inner circle, that they are the blessed ones. He says that his followers should shine the light, not build a fortress. And the Pharisees built walls around their religion and excluded the people that weren't worthy. And then, of course, here by saying, 
I tell you, establishing his authority, he's saying that I fulfill the law. And so all of the religious leaders, the heroes of their day, he says to them, you are not good enough. By the way, um, teachers can see what's going on. Most of us, after you've done this for a while, you're not so nervous and you can see what people are doing, even though I can't see you right now. But I can tell you that over the years, I see people fidget. I've seen families fidget. I've seen dad get up and grab his family when I'm talking and walk out. Sometimes I kind of predict that, that that will happen. And other times I'm like, I wonder what I said. <sighs> Problem of mine. Um, so I've seen uh, people just bury their head in their hands. I don't know if they're falling asleep or what, but they just go like this through my whole message. And, I've, and I actually have seen people whose head is back the other way and totally, fully asleep. So we see what's going on. That was a little uh, digression. Um, but here Jesus is addressing the root of taking a life. And of course, we all would agree that the taking of a life, there's something so much more deeper than just that. There's something going on internally. And when we start to talk about those internal things, the deeper issues, it makes us all uncomfortable, especially when it's pointing at us. But I'm going to ask you as we go through Jesus's words here, don't fidget or walk out. Don't turn off your computer. Don't bury your head in, in your hands. And please, for whatever you do, don't fall asleep. I'll appreciate that. See, there are deeper issues here when it comes to human conflict that need to be addressed. Conflict is normal, and it's part of all healthy relationships, but our capacity to deal with it is the determiner of how we can flourish. But here's the thing with conflict. Conflict becomes destructive through anger and contempt. It's, it's like a poison dripping in our veins. And maybe you can already relate to that metaphor that you've spent time on an anger and contempt dripped until you felt the life draining from your body and it feeling that poison taking you over. Let's talk about anger first. Jesus says in verse 22, Matthew 5, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Is Jesus saying here that all anger is bad and if you get angry, you will go to hell? I don't think so because Jesus is clearly angry when he overturns the, the temple tables. And Paul talks about being angry but not sinning in Ephesians 4.26. Most of us would agree that anger can be a useful tool. Anger can cause you to act when you've just kind of tolerated something. You will act on injustice because of anger sometimes. It will, it, will ch it will cause you to change something about yourself, something that you've disliked for a long time and you finally get fed up with yourself and you change. And of course, I've talked before about how anger paid for my education. I, I wasn't that fast, I wasn't that big, I wasn't a great athlete, but uh, because I had a lot of pent up anger in my body, uh, some, they paid for my education, and I played linebacker in college. So anger can be a good thing. But by far, when you look at the scripture and what it says about anger, it's almost always warnings, warnings about what it can do to us and how it affects others. In James 1.20, he writes, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
Our anger rarely brings about the thing that God wants to see happen, the rightness in the world. And I love this in Proverbs 30, verse 33, for as churning the milk produces butter and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Is anyone thinking with me about the three stooges here? The twisting of the nose. See, not all anger is bad, but anger almost always leads to something bad. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, for the most part, we can't even be trusted with anger. Psalm 37, 8, the psalmist writes, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. Isn't that true? I mean, it's like, it's almost like he's saying, look, don't toy around with anger. It's like only specialists can handle this. It was um, when my first uh, grandchild was born, Ellie, um, that I got to take care of her for a day. And I thought, you know, I'm going to like make a little booklet. This is before social media or anything. So I got my camera out and I took pictures and I printed them up and I made a little booklet uh, called My Day with Grampy. And, uh, but I took a different spin on it. So like uh, each page had a little event that she and her Grampy did together. One was a shot of her sitting in my truck with a hat on like she was driving it. And the caption just said, I got to drive the truck with Grampy. Um, I had a, uh, a picture where we were in the garage and the caption was, I helped Grampy in the garage today. And I had paint and poison and other things, power tools laying around her. And then uh, I took a picture in the house where I said, and Grampy let me play with things in the kitchen and I had a bunch of knives around her. That was the only one that really scared me because she was kind of moving around afraid she was gonna grab the knives. And I know some of you will never trust me with your children and uh, I'm okay with that actually. <laughs> but the point is, it's like there's, there's no way that she was ready to handle those things. And often we just are not ready as human beings to, to constrain and use anger in an effective way. And then also the Bible tells us that anger is contagious. In Proverbs 22, 24, this is from the message. Uh, don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. See, anger is way more virulent and deadly than COVID. And there's no mask that can protect us from the anger of that person who's just boiling over around you. So think about your anger this week. I bet you got angry in some way. What, what percent of it was positive and what percent didn't help at all? Did your anger this week enhance communication? Did it motivate you to do something like tremendous and godly? Or did it really hurt the situation? By the way, there's, there's, there's different kinds of anger that the Bible talks about. There's one that we typically think of as like an explosion, you know, and that's, that's our normal, you know, picture of anger. But there's another one uh, that is in the Bible that talks about it's under the surface. It's always churning and seething. Elvis saying, Lord Almighty, I feel my temperature rising. Higher, higher, it's burning through to my soul. Some of you are singing that along right now. I won't try to do that. But I would just say that maybe 
Maybe you are a hunk of hunk of burning love, but mostly uh, we are a cauldron of anger, aren't we? And Jesus says, when anger like this gets a hold of you, you're going to face judgment. It's going to happen because you're going to do something that you'll regret. And if we don't manage that anger, and we don't subjugate it to the love of God, it leads, Jesus says, to something even worse, and that's contempt. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. See, anger is a gateway drug that leads to contempt. And do you see the progression here? It starts with anger, and then the name-calling, and then the labels. One is raka. That means empty head. Calling people something like that is equal to slander, and you may be put into court. You may go to court for this. You know, I know that that's not a word that you probably have used this week when you were frustrated with someone, raka. Um, there's all kinds of words like that. Um, I know that when I started dating Cindy, she's, she comes from a Dutch heritage, and her family uh, can, could speak Dutch. And her mom used to call me Frieskopf. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm totally saying that right. Um, and I thought that it meant intelligent, sexy man. But what I found out is it means empty head, like blockhead. So it's, Frieskopf is the equivalent of Raka. And when I found that out, I have to say, I didn't really appreciate it that much. And then the other uh, label uh, that's created from anger that shows contempt is fool. A fool will be in danger of the fire of Gehenna, the dump that burns outside of the city walls. And that, that term fool is not like, you know, a term of endearment like, you know, today we say, hey fool. It has nothing to do with that. It's like utter contempt for that person. When we let anger take us over, we will hold people in contempt. And contempt is another level of bitterness that allows us to feel righteous about our anger and our bitterness. Unbridled anger fosters contempt for people and categories of people. Once you think about that in two ways, when we're contemptuous of somebody, uh, when we're so angry at them, sometimes that's focused at a person, at an individual. They hurt us. They, they lied to us. They took advantage of us, and we're angry toward them. But we can also have the same kinds of feelings in a general way, a general contempt for a people group or a political party or an association. I mean, you can just start to think about the way that we are contemptuous toward not just individuals, but people that we have put into different categories. I really appreciated what Dr. Tony Evans had to say this past week about the contempt some Christians are showing through this election. I'm gonna put it up on the screen and I'll read it to you. He says, it is embarrassing. I can just hear Dr. Evans saying this. I mean, downright embarrassing to read social media, social media and see the vitriol, the hatred, the evil, the downright hellishness of Christians going at each other. We have become more pagan 
than the non-Christian world and how we talk to one another just because people are disagreeing politically. When you can have good on both sides and bad on both sides, do not disregard one another because to do that is an embarrassment to God. And I say, amen, Dr. Evans. Listen, Christian, there is no way that we can follow the way of Jesus and be filled with anger and contempt for others. There's no way. Yet we do have conflict, don't we? And we have our differences. We get hurt. Our pride is stung. And we get angry. Sometimes we're filled with contempt. And our relationships break. And so what do we do when that happens? What is the way of Jesus after we've already violated this? And here is where Jesus makes a turn and gives us something that can be life-giving and can set us up to flourish among one another, even though we've made mistakes along the way. This is where the true light can shine, and oftentimes it is a divider between whether we really want to follow Jesus or not. Are you ready for it? Here's the antidote, according to Jesus, to anger and contempt. Verse 23, Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus starts off with therefore because this is what's happened. Here's what you can do. Because it's happened, therefore I tell you this. And for me, it's kind of encouraging, actually, to see this because I know that conflict happens and sometimes I'm going to blow it totally and people in general are just bad at conflict. We're either in fight or flight mode. And maybe some of you listening or watching right now, you're in conflict with somebody right now and their face or their name is coming to you and you're angry and you might even have contempt for that person. What is the way forward? What is the way of Jesus? It's really simple. To be reconciled. Now, as we mentioned earlier, reconcile is not part of our typical language. It can mean, uh, you know, something that you do with your checkbook. Remember checkbooks back in the old days, folks? Um, and you would have to balance your account. I remember watching Cindy uh, try to reconcile our checking account. And she would spend all Saturday morning trying to find $1.32 that there was some type of discrepancy. I don't know if it was more disturbing to think that you had more money or you discovered that you had less money. They were both really uncomfortable. And thank God for online banking now, right? But then reconciliation can also mean to restore a relationship. And so I think you can merge these two when we talk about reconciling. Relationships are a lot like a bank account. Mistakes get made. There are unintended 
and sometimes unapproved withdrawals, and they require reconciling. Jesus says, be reconciled. But he takes it another step further. He's not just saying, just put this on your list to do. He goes on, he says, to make, reconcili make reconciliation your number one priority. If you are offering your gift at the altar, Jesus says, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Look at the words that jump off of this page. First, go, then. And there's such a great picture here. And this would, they, they're totally tracking with what he's saying. He's speaking into like their normal everyday life. They've come to worship God. Maybe they've traveled days to worship and to bring sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. And then it hits them just like it hits us. You remember, you remember that there's something between you and somebody else. It can come from nowhere. You can just be driving along and all of a sudden that person comes to mind. I may, just by talking about it, I might have triggered somebody in your mind. Or it can be a thing or a person that you've just been grinding on and grinding on. And then, and you've been okay with it. And then all of a sudden you just kind of realize what it's doing to you. And either way, in the end, you decide you don't want to carry that weight anymore. And if that's you or Jesus' listeners, he's saying, stop what you're doing. Just stop. Leave the temple or church. And the first thing you need to do is to be reconciled. There's nothing more important. Leave church and square that away. How many good Christians are showing up for church and should really be out there cleaning up their mess? Is that why some of you only come once a month? I'm just kidding. In fact, Jesus even goes further than this than saying that this is a priority to be reconciled. He takes it up one more notch. And he says, make reconciliation your most urgent priority. That's a whole different category. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. And this is, this is, an, this is another great picture. There's a conflict, there's something that's happened, there's a disagreement, there's a business relationship that, fall, that falls apart. And you're right in the middle of it, but you didn't do anything, so now you're going to court unprepared, and you could have avoided it, but you procrastinated, or you avoided, or you, you made it worse, or you just ran away, and now you're standing before the judge without a defense. And then 
you're in jail. You had the opportunity to work it out. You could have come up with a plan to pay it back or to settle it. That's why Jesus says, settle before court because the judge will settle it for you. If you don't settle it yourself, you're going to have real problems and someone is going to do some time. That's what Jesus is saying here. So be quick about it. It's like a legal matter. Don't let it just sit there and allow the consequences to come and to compound. If you don't act, it will be too late. The ball is rolling and it's going to, go, it's going to roll right over you and everybody involved. Do you know the difference between a priority matter and an urgent matter? It's a spider on you. So you can have a list of priorities in your day, but what do you do when a spider lands on you during that day? Do you say, wow, I think I need to add that to my priority list today. I mean, who doesn't brush a spider off of them right away? Spiders are urgent. They don't stay on you a nanosecond. You can have multiple priorities, but you can only have one urgent. We weigh out our priorities, but we react to the urgent. And that's what Jesus is driving home here. How dangerous these unreconciled conflicts are to us as human beings. They just keep piling up and it becomes a way of life. That's why the writer in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, he says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. When we have anger and hurts and conflicts and we go through betrayals and words said just keep piling up on us and there's the wear and tear on our souls just like the wear and tear on a joint over a lifetime until that joint is incapacitated. The longer a wound festers, the more infected it becomes. It starts with a little redness, a little bump, but left unattended, gangrene can set in. And Jesus says, with our conflicts, we need to keep it cleaned up. And the way to do that is to make reconciliation the most urgent priority that you have. Now, why does Jesus start with this in a section where he's going to lay out six things that are so critical to human beings flourishing together. Why does he start with reconciliation? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but I'm going to take a stab at two. One, one is this. Reconciliation is indispensable for human flourishing. We, and what a, what a message for us to hear today. I'm recording this message on Wednesday at around 1130 in the morning, and we don't know what the election is going to hold. And I see people just going crazy. This is like a very unique time in this country. And we're living in a, in a, a culture now that is promoting division, which is the opposite of reconciliation. As I mentioned before, we're in a cancel culture. And that's, that's always been true, but 
hasn't it grown? Doesn't it seem like our tolerance meter is on blast? It's super sensitive. And some of you, not only have you like become angry at close friends and lost relationships, but it's even happening in your family. And I have a feeling that when this is all over and we all kind of gain our right minds through this, that there will be a lot of confession going on in order for us to reconcile with one another. Lastly, I think that Jesus begins with this because reconciliation is really living out the gospel. It is the gospel. Reconciliation is what we received from God through Jesus. I mean, what do we deserve? What does the Bible tell us we deserve because of our sin, because of our rebelliousness, because of our self-importance or self-righteousness? What do we deserve? What did we get? We get reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, Paul says he reconciled us to himself through Christ. And I, I can't help but wonder if some, someone is listening or watching this message and you, for some reason you've just been drawn back to church, drawn back to God, and you, you don't know where to start. And maybe you're even afraid to show up at a church because you think all eyes are going to know that you don't go to church. I experienced that um, before I became a Christian. I was freaked out about being in church. I thought everybody knew everything about me and that I didn't belong there. I want to say to you that Jesus said that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And the goal of God and the the goal of what Jesus did on the cross was to reconcile every person. And all we need to do is acknowledge our need of that. And if you're listening to me now and you're, you're wondering, like, how do I start with God? We start by getting on our knees and just saying, God, I am not squared away. I've made poor choices. And not all of them even show, but I need you, God. And accept the reconciliation that Jesus has given you. But for those of us who have done that, the responsibility for that reconciliation of other relationships flows straight out of that. If that's what God has done for us, that's what we're called to do. Paul goes on in that same passage to say that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Those of us who have been reconciled are to help others reconcile. And that is a fundamental Christian thing. God has not called us or left us in the world as a church, as an individual, as a family to condemn people, to give full vent to our anger, or to show contempt to other human beings. We are here to bring reconciliation, whether that's in my social media or it's in my circle of friends or in my neighborhood or in my family. Some people wonder, well, how, how can I express the gospel today? I don't even know how to like, you know, teach me how to do that or like I could never do it. 
I can tell you right now that you're going to have an opportunity to share or express the gospel in this day and time. You might have already had it. And the way you do it is by being that reconciling voice. Be Jesus to that person. Show others how that happens. You know, earlier in this season, I put something on my social media, and I found out later that it really hurt some dear friends of ours. And um, some of you are looking up my Facebook right now. And uh, I really didn't see it in what I had posted. Um, and yet they were kind enough to tell me how that hurt them. And so we got together and we talked. And in some cases, we still disagreed on items, so to speak. But after talking and listening to one another, we realized that we agreed on so much more. And we, because we talked about it, it's like we were able to like work through it. You know what we did? We reconciled. They initiated that process by just saying, could we talk? And I responded to it by saying, of course. I'm glad they did that. And I'm glad that I responded as well. We have such an opportunity, Christian, to be the reconciling voice and example in this day and time, regardless of our differences, whether it's political, theological, relational, personality, vanilla or chocolate, whatever it is, we, we have been given such a great opportunity. And our following of Jesus, our committing to that and, and saying like, I want to be a part of his kingdom, it demands that of us. Well, that's, that's my message. Let me pray for you. God, uh, I would pray that those of us who have experienced your grace and have firsthand been reconciled to you through your son, Jesus, I pray that that would be true of us, true of each person listening to my voice and true of us as a church called Sunridge. For those that are exploring faith right now, I pray that what we've talked about in this message would, would resonate with them and that if they have questions, they would reach out to us or a friend, but most of all, I ask that they would respond to the reconciling work that your son did on our behalf. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. If you need help with something, you have a question, you would like for us to pray for you, you can reach us through email at info at sunridgechurch.org. And if you'd like to know more about us or you'd like to become a financial partner in what Sunridge is doing, you just go to our website at sunridgechurch.org and you'll figure it out from there. We hope you'll listen in again and again, and we hope that you'll come and join us for one of our one big services at 1030 on Sundays. In the meantime, uh, wherever you go, deepen your faith, 
bring hope, and live love. Thank you.